If you would, please take your Bibles with me and go to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7. I got a new glass this week. I, I love college football, and I grew up in Michigan. For all of you who now you're holding that against me, please don't hold that against me. But um, there's two, two main teams in Michigan. One is Michigan State University, and one is the University of Michigan. And they are rivals. And uh, the University of Michigan is the Wolverines. And so I have loved them from the day I was born because my dad told me I had to. And so, uh, actually, Paul and Tanya were in the States last week, and uh, they've been looking for one for over a year now pretty well, and finally they found one. So I want to thank them for that, and um, it is my personality up here. So, Joshua chapter 7. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you fear something? Just raise your hand. You fear something. All of you should be raising your hand. Okay, good. I fear things. Um, I have a very real fear, fear of failure. I have a very real fear of failure. I also struggle with what the metrics of success is. Um, a lot of times we think success is numbers. And a lot of times we think success uh, is what we want. But I, I struggle with that. I often base my decision of whether I'm successful on what people think. That's just, that's me. Um, so if you say to me, hey, that was a great sermon, I base my success on that. If nobody says anything to me, I feel like a failure. Now, please understand, I don't need you to come behind me and say, Pastor Yeomans, that was just wonderful, because that's, that's pride for me, okay? I don't need that, but I'm just telling you how I am, how I work. Uh, and so I struggle with the fear of failure. And honestly, sometimes my fear of failure will sometimes keep me from doing the things I know God wants me to do. I know God wants me to take a step of faith, but I fear failing, so I hold myself back and I don't do what God wants me to do. It also makes me regret doing some things that I know the Lord has called me to do. There have been times in my life where I stepped out in faith and I did some things and some people weren't happy with that and I regretted it because I feared failure. I have a constant internal struggle with myself about how much to trust myself and how much to trust God. Again, for me, I struggle with if it doesn't make sense, I'm not going to go forward. If it doesn't uh, logically fit the bill and if it doesn't tick off all these boxes, then we're probably not going to go ahead with that. And sometimes I struggle with that and struggle with trusting in God and, and putting my faith in him. So I'll be honest, I fear failure. But my fear of failure really in its, in its easiest and boiled down form comes down to pride. That's just what it comes down to. I don't want to be seen as a failure. I don't want people to look at my life and go, he's a loser. I don't want that. I want people to look at me and go, wow, he's successful. He's wonderful. He's got it all together. That's what I want. The reality of the situation is this, that is not right. That is a wrong attitude. But nonetheless, I struggle with that. I struggle with my pride every single day. But I want to give you this message this morning, forward despite lust. Forward despite lust. Now, I hope you're thinking, Pastor Yomans, I don't have a lust problem. 
I don't have a lost problem. I hope you're thinking that. So let me ask you this. Is it wrong to be successful? Sorry, I can't, you're going to have to play with me here. Is it wrong to be successful? No, it's not. It's not wrong to be successful. Is it wrong to fear failure? No, it's not. It's not wrong to fear failure. But James chapter 4 and verse 3, the Bible says this, He asks, and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Did, I hope you listened to my introduction, because what I fear failure for is so that I will look good. I am consuming it upon my lust. So I'll pray and I'll ask God, please don't make me look stupid today. God, please help me to be successful. But understand, all beneath that is pride and it's lust. So if, listen, if you have pride in your life, pride equals lust basically today, all right? So understand that you may not struggle with what our, our, our regular term of lust is, but all of us have something that we want. All of us have something that we desire and we fear some things. The reason I want to be successful is so people will look at Johnny Yeomans. The reason I fear failure is because I want people to look well upon Johnny Yeomans. That is consuming it upon my lust. Again, lust takes all shapes, sizes, all kinds of forms. But interestingly enough, lust will help us fail. Lust will help us fail. So the thing that I fear the most is what is actually causing me to fail. The, the fear of failure so that I don't look like a failure is what actually causes me to fail. It causes me to fall. Lust will keep us from moving forward. In fact, it will actually push us backwards. And so it is this lust that I would like to speak about today. So let's look at the story found here in Joshua chapter 7. Look at with me in verse 1. The Bible says this, but the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent, from, sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased from them from before the gate even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore, the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity being here this morning. Father, help us as we look at the subject of failure and the subject of lust. Help us to understand this morning that we cannot move forward when lust is present in our lives. When the sin is still there. Father, help us to see our need. Thank you so much for dying on the cross so that we can have victory. But Father, when we choose sin, help us to realize that you've already forgiven us of our sin and you can change our lives. And I pray that you would. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Failure has struck the children of Israel. 
something that they did not expect. In fact, they thought this battle to be very easy, so they only sent about 3,000 men. It wasn't going to be that hard. But this failure has impacted the children of Israel very hard. I want to show you, though, the progression of this failure. And I want to show you, and I think it's something that we can apply to our lives. I think it's something we can relate to all the way through. So number one, I want you to see that there's an enduring promise. An enduring promise. And I, I, there's, there's an enduring promise because it's continual. Go back to Joshua chapter 1 and look at verse 1 with me. Joshua chapter 1, looking at verse 1. The Bible says this. Now after the death of of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all the people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said, Unto Moses, So already he's beginning to say, listen, you're going to, to have everything that your, your foot treads upon. Verse 4, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, unto, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. Watch this, verse 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. So understand this, God gives Joshua a promise of enduring victory. No man for your entire life will be able to stand before you. They, they won't be able to defeat you. They won't be able to even, even put up a fight. You are more than a conqueror, Joshua. We're also giving we, as in the church, Bible Baptist Church, you who are sitting here today, are given an enduring promise. I want you to flip over with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I'm just making you turn to keep you awake this morning. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 31. God has given us an enduring promise of victory. Romans 8, 31, the Bible says this, What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Listen, if God is for us, who can be against us? There's nothing. Look at verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? All things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. He says, nay, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 
Because of God, because of God being with us, we are more than conquerors. There's nothing that can stand against us. Who can stand against us when God is on our side? He will never leave us nor forsake us. We have an enduring promise. This is a promise we can claim. This is a promise we can stand on, if you will. This is a promise you can take to the bank. You're not going to fail. God can give you all things. God can give you everything you've ever wanted or needed. But I want you to see Psalm chapter 37, in verse 4 and 5, the Bible says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Delight in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of the heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass listen we have an enduring promise from God that he will give us the things that we need and that he will bring the things that we need to pass he'll bring them to pass God is with us God is is giving us a promise to walk with us to be with us to strengthen us to provide for us to to comfort us guys we have such an amazing God we have an enduring promise just like the children of Israel listen Nobody's going to stand against you. We are more than conquerors. We've already defeated uh, through Jesus Christ. Death and hell have already been defeated. Satan has no hold. We can be more than conquerors. An enduring promise. But the enduring promise comes with number two. An explicit warning. There is an explicit warning. I want you to go to Joshua chapter 6 with me. Joshua chapter 6. Verse 17. Joshua chapter 6 and verse 17. The Bible says this. And the city, speaking of Jericho, the city shall be accursed, even it, and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab, the harlot, shall live. She and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye, in any wise, here's the warning, keep yourself from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed. When ye take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel a curse, and trouble it. Watch this, verse 19. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are what? Consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the very simple warning is this. Don't keep for yourselves the accursed thing. Don't take it. Don't do that. Don't keep it for yourselves. The key here is keeping it for yourselves because of verse 19. Verse 19 says the gold and the silver, you are supposed to take that. Take that and do what with it? Give it to God. It's consecrated. You take that and you give it to God because it is his. So understand this. You were supposed to take things. You were supposed to give them to the Lord. And we are also given this explicit warning about something being consecrated to the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 to 18, the Bible says, Wherefore, come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Do you see what God is saying here? 
He's saying, listen, I have given you something. I have given you something special. I have given you something to serve me with, and it is supposed to be consecrated to me. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Your body, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, is the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, we are consecrated to God, but so often we want to touch the unclean thing. We want to do what we want to do, and we want to take things for ourselves. But he gives us a warning. Hey, don't do that. Because if you do, then I will not be your God. Look, at, look again with the, at the verse, the end of it. And I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Listen, if you are consecrated to God and you are given to him, you are his son, you are his daughter. He wants to be your God. And this is exactly what the children of Israel are at. Listen, you touch of the accursed thing, you will be accursed. I'm not too excited about being accursed. That doesn't wake me up in the morning and get me all excited. But I'll tell you what does wake me up in the morning and get, get me all excited being a part of God's family, loving him, being his, being consecrated to him. God even goes a little further and explains how we move away from that beautiful relationship. James chapter 1, verse 14 to 15. The Bible says this, But every man is tempted, every man is tempted, when he is drawn away of his own lust and, and enticed. We all have lust. We all have things that God has given us that, that he has put in our lives. He, he, they're natural. They're, they're God-given. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The problem here is this. God gives us a desire, a strong desire, and we want to consume that in the way that we want to consume that. And instead of consecrating it to God, we consume it upon our own lust. Lust conceives and bringeth forth sin, and sin always brings about death. I hope you know this. Everything that Jesus gives you, everything that Jesus gives you brings life, and life more abundantly. But everything that sin brings you is death. Everything. You can play with sin. You can do all that you want to do with sin. But it will always bring death. For the wages of sin is death. Because it's just going to happen. Take it to the bank. The warning is this. Keep yourself consecrated to God. And have life. If you don't. Sin will always bring about death. So when I look at these two things, I honestly, I become overwhelmed with joy and excitement. I really do. Because we can have victory. All I have to do, God is on my side. God is wonderful. God is powerful. He can give me everything I ever wanted or needed. He can do it. He can conquer. And all I have to do is keep myself consecrated. Not that hard, right? Not that big of a deal, right? I mean, this is something easy. I mean, God has it all laid out for us. There's the land. Go conquer it. Just take it. Do what you want to do with it. It's all yours. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. And that's the way our life can be. It can be a life more abundant. But I want you to see 
the third point. Number three, I want you to see there's a blatant disobedience. Blatant disobedience. Turn one page, Joshua chapter 7. Look at verse 1 again. We all understand the, cur- the, uh, the um, warning was very clear. But the children of Israel, verse 1, committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Jump down to verse 19. And Joshua said unto Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now, what hast thou done? Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord of Israel, or God of Israel. And thus and thus have I done. I want you to notice what he took. When I saw among the spoils a good Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of what? Silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight. When I coveted them and took them and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. He took what he was supposed to take, didn't he? He just didn't do the right thing with it. So there's a blatant disobedience. Achan had blatantly disobeyed the warning. He had taken that which was consecrated to the Lord so that he might consume it upon his lust. Why did he want 50 shekels weight of gold? Why would he want silver? Because it's worth money. It's worth something. He could, he could buy his wife a nicer dress now. Maybe he stole his wife a nicer dress. He could, he could go, he could have a retirement plan now. He could, he could do whatever he wanted to do now because he had gold and silver. But understand, this was consecrated to the Lord. He wanted to consume it upon his lust. This act alone kept the children of Israel from defeating Ai. This act alone. You know what else it did? It killed 36 men. I, I, I promise you, Sin will always bring death. Let's get serious here. There are things in my life that I am doing right now that are blatantly disobedient to the warning God has given us. Me. Right now, there are things in my life that are blatantly disobedient. And I would assume I'm not alone. We listen to what we want to listen to. We watch what we want to watch. We think about the things we want to think about. We allow our pride to creep up. We take on the culture. We, we live the way the world lives. And all the while, we are watering down the pure, beautiful, abiding relationship that we could have with God. Powerful relationship. When that happens, we begin to lose battles. We begin to fail. And all of a sudden, my biggest fear is coming true. I'm failing. Some of you might say, well, our marriage isn't what it's supposed to be. Some of you might say, my kids aren't what they are supposed to be. This is not what I signed up for. Some of you, my job is not working out. My life is not working out the way that God promised. 
What's going on? Can, can we get serious? It's blatant disobedience. You say, oh, come on, it's not that bad. No, no, if you're not consecrated to the Lord, if you are living your life and consuming upon your own flesh, that is blatant disobedience. Not accidental. Not, oh, I forgot. Blatant disobedience. Now, I'm not trying to say that everything that goes wrong in your life is because of sin. Please understand that. Not everything that goes wrong in your life is because of sin, but I am trying to say that when we sin, things will go wrong. When we sin, things will go wrong. We need to call it what it is. Blatant, not misunderstood, not forgetful, but blatant disobedience. When we are in this position, we are failing. And when we fail, I want you to see this. We have a tendency to do what Joshua did. Now, I love Joshua. I think Joshua is an amazing person, a very godly man. But I want you to see what Joshua does here. I want you to see number four, there's a focus on failure. Joshua chapter 7, look at verse 6. There's a focus on failure. The Bible says this, And Joshua rent his clothes and fell on the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. They're humble. God, what is going on? Verse 7, And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, Wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side Jordan. Wow. Verse 8, oh, oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? What am I going to do? What am I going to say to these people? Verse 9, for the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. And watch this. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? What are you going to do about this, God? I mean, now your name is tarnished. No, now who's going to ever trust in you? And he begins to focus on this failure and even blaming God. You see that found in verse 7. Wherefore hast thou? Why did you even bring us over here? Doesn't this sound like uh, what happened when they were at the Red Sea? Why did you even bring us out here? Now we're going to starve to death. And now we're going to this, that, and the other thing. And they begin blaming and blaming and blaming. We should have just stayed on the other side of Jordan. Did you just call us over here just to destroy us? How are we going to recover from this? He even begins to put a guilt trip on God. What about your name, God? What about thy great name? God, what are you going to do about this? Now, please don't miss this. Write this down. This is not rocket science, and it's not even that good of wording. But it's so true. When we focus on the failure, we miss the point of the failure. When we focus on the failure, we miss the point of the failure. Do you, do you see Joshua's, like, God, you failed us. God, you messed up. God, you promised. You said this, and now we're not having this. You are wrong. In other words, this, God doesn't just let us fail for no reason. God has a perfect plan in our lives. We look at it. We scratch our heads. 
And we go, what in the world just happened? And we begin blaming God. He has promised us, God, the desires of our heart. God, now you're not doing that. Now you're not providing. And we begin to blame God. And we begin to look at our failure and scratch our heads and say things like, this is your problem, God. You promised you would never leave me nor forsake me. You promised, God, you must not be trustworthy. Some of you may be sitting in this room saying, oh, I would never say that. I would never say that. You may not say those exact words. But if you're anything like me, you will say something similar. To give a personal example, 2014, I believe it was June, we had an open house here at Bible Baptist Church. And we did a lot of work. Did a ton of work to pass out flyers and invite people and all kinds of different things. And I remember getting on my knees and praying, God, help this to be a successful day. We've done a lot of work, and now we're leaving it in your hands. The day came. I think it was the absolute worst open house in the history of open houses. I th we may have one, maybe two visitors. It was terrible according to those metrics. And I immediately felt, God, you just failed me. I prayed. I sought your face. I worked hard. I did all I could possibly, humanly, physically do. And I began to almost blame God. God, you failed me. And I focused on that failure. But can I, can I challenge you with something? I want you to look at God's response. Look at verse 10. God's response to Joshua, and in my opinion, God's response to me on that day. Verse 10, the Bible says this. And the Lord said unto Joshua, get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Get up, man. What are you doing? Israel hath sinned, verse 11, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore. Except ye destroy the accursed thing. This is where I think we get things wrong. We start blaming it on God, and God says, get up. I never left you. You left me. Get up. Hey, get up. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm still standing here waiting to pour out my power. I'm still standing here waiting to pour out my blessing upon my people. But you have sinned and you are now accursed. Look again at the end of verse 12. Neither will I be with you anymore. I'm not with you anymore. I'm right beside you. I want to pour out my blessing. I'm willing. I'm ready to do so. But you need to destroy the accursed thing. So this is, he's saying it's not me. It's you. When you break up with somebody, what do you always say? Oh, it's just me. 
it's not you, it's just me. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, I'm breaking up with you and it's your fault. I am not with you anymore and it's your fault. Get off your face and quit blaming me. And get out there and get the sin taken care of. I want you to see the fifth point. There is an inspired revival. An inspired revival. Look at verse 13. The Bible says this. Up. Sanctify the people. And say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until, until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. God shows them where they were wrong. But you know what else he says? Here's how to deal with it. Oh, I'm not, ever, I'm not leaving you completely. You, you, there is an until in there. You can't stand against your enemies until it's taken care of. Go to Joshua chapter 7, verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them under the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day, and all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Now, I'm not trying to say that if you have sin in your life, you need to go stone yourself. But what I want you to notice is they completely eradicated the sin. They completely destroyed sin. They completely sanctified themselves. They completely re-consecrated themselves to God. This was revival. I'm not advocating that for every sin that we are going to get a mob of people together and, and stone you or put you to death. But Romans chapter 8 and verse 13 says this. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But, but, if ye through the Spirit do what? Do mortify, put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Put to death. Victory cannot come until sin is out of the camp. Victory cannot come until sin is out of the camp. You look at this story and you go, oh my goodness, what are they ever going to do? And the heart of the people melted and it was like water. It was as if they had no strength left. There was nothing left in them because of sin. But if you, do any, if you know anything about the Bible, you look forward, you go, they destroyed sin. They got sin out of the camp. The very next battle, they destroy Ai. They take them without a problem. They never lose another man. Guys, revival cannot come until sin is out of your life. Revival cannot come until sin is out of your life. Sin will keep you from moving forward. And it all starts with your lust. It all starts with your fleshly desires. If you look at Achan, you got to wonder what was going through his head. He saw gold, silver, and a nice garment, and he begins to think, man, I could use that. Man, I, I, I'm a little short this month, and I could take that in and put that toward that this weekend. And I'll, I'll, I'll even tithe off of it. I mean, 
that's what good Jewish men do, right? I'll, I'll even do the right thing, but I'm just going to be dishonest in this one area and consume it upon my lust. And he began to look at it and think about it and think about it and think about it. And that lust conceived and it brought sin. And literally in this story, sin brought death. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 is a verse that we often quote. But as you look at this passage of Scripture and then look at this verse, hopefully it all makes sense. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, not blame me, but seek my face and see this, and turn from their wicked ways, then, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Obviously, this is not written to the 21st century church. But the fact still remains. Sin separates you from God. And I would hope every one of us could be honest enough this morning to say that there's something in my life that I'm lusting after. It might be a promotion. It might be another person. I don't, I don't know. But there's something, and I'm thinking about that, and I'm spending time on it, and that lust is going to conceive, and it's going to bring sin. And you know sin, when it's finished, bringing forth death. And when you're dead, you can't move forward. But if we will just put that to death, we will put those lusts to death. We will put aside those things and we will turn from our wicked way and we will look at God and we will say, I will focus on you. All I want is you, God. I want nothing else. I just want to be consecrated to you. My body, my soul, my spirit is yours, God. It's no one else's. I'm not going to consume it upon my own loss. It's only for you. Then, then God says, okay, you don't want anything else but me. Now, now I can heal your land. Now I can help you move forward. Now I can repair your marriage. Now I can help your children. Now I can. Now I can. Now I can. Guys, we cannot move forward with sin in our lives. Until. That's the greatest news in the world. Until we destroy it and turn from our wicked way. I ask you heads bowed and eyes closed.